our world is in for some very great troubles ahead. Jesus prophesied in Luke 21 that pestilences, earthquakes, and famines will be some of the terrible birth pains of the last days. The prophet Amos also recorded a prophecy of a different category of famine, but one just as dangerous. When the light of God's revelation is withdrawn as a judgment, Amos 8.11 declares, Behold, the days come, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Thankfully, in this hour, there's also a remnant of believers determined to stand in real biblical faith, holding fast to this word. So what's it going to be for you, faith or famine? The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by you, the viewers. Thank you for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. I saw a cartoon of two people chatting and one said to the other, my desire to be well informed is currently at odds with my desire to remain sane. Truly things are happening in the news that are so crazy, bizarre, sinister, that even a few years ago, we would have said it's impossible for society to fall apart as quickly as it is. California pastor John MacArthur recently commented on the downgrading of society, saying that we're surrounded by people with non-functioning minds that the Bible describes as reprobate. Romans 1.28 explains that at a certain point, God gives people over to a reprobate mind to do things that are not right because society is filled to the brim with unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, coveting, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, and whisperings, and so forth. A reprobate mind is definitely a mind starved of righteousness, one that's part of the famine of God's Word. I did a study on this word reprobate, sometimes translated as depraved. It's number 96 in Strong's Concordance, and amongst the definitions, besides depraved or a worthless mind, a castaway, rejected by God, or unfit for use like sterile soil. It's so important for our minds to be washed and renewed daily through the reading of God's Word. Romans 12.2 admonishes not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we may prove what is the will of God and that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. And in Ephesians 5.26, we learn that the Lord sanctifies and cleanses us with the washing of water by the Word. So this Word is a purifying, cleansing agent for our minds. I've come to the conclusion that to navigate through these perilous times as we await the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, we're going to have to walk by faith as never before. Faith to remain sane, faith to remain well, 
faith to remain faithful. Because remember, Jesus asked in Luke 18, 8, when he returns, will he find faith upon the earth? The literal translation of that verse is, will he find the faith? That's why Jude verse 3 appeals to believers to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once and for all entrusted to God's people, the believers, because certain ungodly persons have crept in unnoticed, Jude said, and they have turned the grace of our God into indecent behavior, even denying our only Lord, Yeshua, the Messiah. Unbelievers and those sitting on the fence must honestly study the claims of the Bible's central character. But unfortunately, Jesus is no longer central in the churches. Man has become central. Our needs, our dreams, our wishes are the central topics. But I'm praying that we'll be given the grace to see and to admit our need for the Savior and that many will be willing to turn to God, believing that Jesus did die for our sins on Jerusalem's cross and that he rose victorious from the grave. This is how we're born again, when we believe the good news which is especially good news for the last days, that the world does have a Savior and that He is returning soon. And when we're born again, the Holy Spirit takes up residence within our spirits and the remainder of our lives, we're challenged to grow from faith to faith. We can even reap 100-fold in a famine as Isaac did in Genesis 26:12 by faith. You see, our faith should never be at a standstill. After all, Hebrews 11.6 informs us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever comes to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Also, Jesus commanded us in Mark 11.22 to have the faith of God. Hebrews 4.16 also admonishes us, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we're commanded to live by faith. The Bible says in both Testaments, the just shall live by faith. Therefore, we call things into being according to Romans 4.17, where we learn the principle that God who gives life to the dead calls those things which do not exist as though they did. So as his children, we enjoy the great privilege to speak like God speaks, to call things and situations into being in an active prayer life. Well, everything prophetically that's happening with big brother technology, big pharma, international politics concerning Israel and anti-Semitism, totalitarian regimes, economics and the emerging cashless society, all these signs are coming to pass rapidly. So it's the hour for the church to awaken from its slumber. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. Yom Adonai, the day of the Lord is near. I just praise God that Bible prophecy is like a lamp shining in a dark place explaining what's happening in this chaotic world. The prophetic scriptures give us hope and confidence. Yet, some church leaders are acting like enemies of the gospel. 
they're actually denigrating Bible prophecy, brushing it under the carpet, even accusing eschatologists of setting dates. But people who rightly handle this word of truth know that date setting is wrong. How tragic that the apostle Peter warned that a sign of the last days would be mockery of the doctrine of the second coming. And sadly, the mockery often comes from inside the church. I heard Bible teacher Dr. Andy Woods state that Rick Warren made a terrible attack on Bible prophecy. In his best-selling book, The Purpose Driven Life, Warren wrote that when the disciples wanted to talk about prophecy, Jesus quickly changed the subject, saying it was none of their business. But Dr. Woods, who himself is a prolific author, said Warren's exposition is dishonest because Jesus gave his disciples the comprehensive Olivet Discourse on end-time prophecy. How tragic that outright rejection of Bible prophecy is happening when great prophetic events are coming to pass in our lifetime. Well, despite the scorn that's poured in some churches upon the study of Bible prophecy, God is not mocked. And in fact, God, knowing the end from the beginning, has made provision for our times by promising that knowledge will increase in the last days. And not only will general knowledge increase, but also that knowledge would include greater understanding of Bible prophecy. You see, in Daniel 12, 4, the prophet Daniel was instructed to shut up and seal the book until the time of the end. He was told that many will go to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Andy Woods believes the average believer today can understand Bible prophecy better than any believer in the past just by virtue of the time period we're living in and increasingly so because the Word of God is becoming unsealed. The prophetic scriptures are literally coming alive. In fact, I've mentioned this in a previous broadcast, but it's good to reiterate. The famous scientist Sir Isaac Newton prophesied that about the time of the end, a body of men will be raised up who will turn their attention to the prophecies in the Bible and insist upon their literal interpretation in the midst of much clamor and opposition. Sir Isaac's prophecy has indeed come to pass. There's a great body of men of God in Israel and the nations who are teaching on end time prophecy at this time. I think it's amazing that these men of God can be found not only in Israel, but in the islands of the sea and on all continents. Teaching Bible prophecy is not just an American or a Western thing. But there are great and reputable sources on all these continents. However, during the Reformation, many great men of God didn't want to tackle study of the book of Revelation. But now it's so much easier to understand the book of Revelation because events prophesied in Revelation long ago that didn't make sense as they do now are events such as the advent of television making possible for all the world to see the two witnesses mentioned in Revelation chapter 11 after they're killed in the future and they lie dead in the streets of Jerusalem. But then they'll be resurrected before the eyes of the world. While so much Bible prophecy is being fulfilled, how sad that many church leaders are totally caught up in the cares of this world. 
They're advocating climate change, social justice, and watering down the gospel to embrace all sorts of extraneous causes. Think of what the church is saying. Instead of making fishers of men, the social justice movement says that you're responsible now for cleaning up the fishbowl. Well, it stands to reason that in this rapidly winding up church age, believers should be especially diligent to maintain biblically correct doctrine. Imagine Jesus standing outside of his church, knocking and asking to be let in. But that's exactly the scenario we have in Revelation chapter 3 with the Laodicean church, the church that represents the end of the church age. Jesus dictated a letter to the congregation at Laodicea, and the Apostle John recorded it on the island of Patmos. Let's look at that. Jesus said, I know your works, and he rebuked them. You are neither cold nor hot. I will vomit you out of my mouth because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of anything. You don't know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, and that the shame of your nakedness will be covered. And I advise you to anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. And then he said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. And then comes these famous words, often taken out of context in Revelation 3. Jesus added, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. Jesus was not speaking to unbelievers. He was addressing lukewarm believers, saying he was knocking at their door. They were just playing church inside without Jesus. He was on the outside asking to be let in. How tragic. By the way, I've documented for many years how Jesus is appearing to Muslims in dreams and visions. And I know personally of a family in Ramallah in the Palestinian territories where the entire family had a vision, a corporate vision of Jesus knocking on their door and they invited him into their lives. That is an evangelistic vision for sure. And Revelation 3.20 of Jesus knocking on the door has often been used in evangelism when inviting somebody to receive Jesus. But remember in the context here of Revelation chapter 3, Jesus is standing at the door of the hearts of people who already claim to be believers. But I have to say, if you're not a believer today, we can still apply this verse to you and ask you to invite the Redeemer into your life because Jesus did say in that verse, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, and that includes you, hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into them and dine with them. And this is a true Middle Eastern expression that still applies today because in the Middle East, having a meal with someone is considered to be an intimate act of fellowship. But now let's go back for a minute to the Apostle Peter, who said in 2 Peter chapter 3, First know this, that in the last days scoffers will come with scoffing, following according to their own evil desires, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? 
For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as it was from the beginning of creation. So Peter articulated a prophecy that in the last days there will arise an attack on the doctrine of the Lord's second coming. Critics and scoffers and mockers will denigrate this cherished subject of Bible prophecy. But the great irony is people who criticize the subject of Bible prophecy are themselves fulfilling the Apostle Peter's prophecy by scoffing. So there's a famine of knowledge about Bible prophecy in many denominations. In fact, Hosea 4, 6 tells us that God's people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And do you know what happens when Bible knowledge is eroded, neglected, and destroyed? Well, false teachers arise. False doctrines corrupt the churches. And the latest heresy is that Palestinian theology is countering the very biblical movement of Christian Zionism, all because God's word is being trashed and set aside. It's dangerous when pastors refuse to teach the whole counsel of God. And Paul was a true man of God because he said in Acts 20, verse 27, I did not hesitate. I did not shrink back from proclaiming to you the whole counsel of God. It's dangerous when preachers neglect study of both Testaments of the Bible, including the foundational Hebrew Bible. It's dangerous when they only teach the New Testament without understanding our Hebraic foundations. You see, if you've never been taught the Abrahamic covenant in the Bible, you won't have a proper and thorough understanding of God's future plans for the nation of Israel. The Apostle Paul carefully explained what I call Theology 101 in the book of Romans in the New Testament, and he used the biblical idiom of God's olive tree, how the natural branches, the Jews, were temporarily cut off through unbelief, while the Gentiles, wild olives, were grafted into God's family tree, but only until the fullness of the Gentiles is completed and the travail of Messiah's soul is satisfied. Then when he's satisfied, With the fullness of the Gentiles, and it's all completed in the church, the original branches will be regrafted into their own olive tree. And so Paul said, we former Gentiles in the church should not be ignorant of God's plans and promises to keep covenant with Israel. In fact, Paul sternly warned the Roman church against arrogance, admonishing believers to remember that we don't support the root but the root supports us. So Christian Zionism is the belief that the return of the Jews to the Holy Land and the establishment of the state of Israel in 1948 were fulfillments of Bible prophecy. In fact, did you know every Hebrew prophet except the prophet Jonah prophesied the end time return of the Jews to the land of Israel? Christian Zionists believe that the Bible teaches that the regathering of the Jews in Israel is a prerequisite for the second coming of Jesus. But lately, due to politics and massive media campaigns, there has been a paradigm shift to denigrate biblical Zionism. And the new movement is called Christian Palestinianism. In a volume by Paul Wilkerson called Israel Betrayed, The Rise of Christian Palestinianism, the author examines the rise of the dangerous anti-Israel movement in churches. 
Workerson says Palestinian theology in the churches is an inverted mirror image of Christian Zionism. The proponents of so-called Christian Palestinianism have internalized replacement theology and aligned themselves with Rome and Islam in their opposition to Israel, according to Wilkerson. He writes that all the basic biblical elements of Christian Zionist eschatology are reversed so that the Bible is seen to be Christian and not Jewish, contrary to its Jewish contents. And the land of the Bible, which is called in the Bible the land of Israel, is now being called Palestine, not Israel, by these proponents. Furthermore, it's the old replacement theology lie that the church is the new Israel, and shockingly, brazenly, the Son of God is depicted as a Palestinian, not as a Jew, contrary to the clear biblical record. Furthermore, Wilkerson notes that the Nazi Holocaust is resented, not remembered, in so-called Christian Palestinianism. The great miracle of 1948, when Israel became a nation in a day, according to Bible prophecy in Isaiah, is now not called a miracle by the Christian Palestinian movement, but rather it's called in Arabic, the Nakba, meaning the catastrophe. Do you know it's blasphemy and quite frankly ignorant to call God's fulfilled prophecies a catastrophe? Thus, the Jewish people are depicted as illegal occupiers, not returnees with a legitimate biblical claim to ownership. When the new state of Israel is so clearly prophetic and the answer to centuries of prayer, it's wicked and arrogant to call God's work of recovery illegitimate and catastrophic. While it's important always to pray for genuine justice in the overall conflict and to care deeply for the welfare of all the peoples in the region, we must recognize that Christian Palestinianism simply ignores the signpost of Bible prophecy and regards unfolding events through the filter of politics. Yes, let's be pro-Palestinian, but also pro-Jews. Advocating only for Palestinians in modern church history is rapidly influencing evangelicals who are simply not paying attention to their Bibles. It's a great deception when church leaders become anti-Semitic. The rising again of anti-Semitism, disguised as anti-Zionism, has resulted in the increase of anti-Semitic websites that revive old world conspiracy theories against the Jews. Many of these websites flat out deny the Holocaust and universities allow groups to demonstrate aggressively against the state of Israel. There has also been a massive spread of replacement theology in many churches that were once understanding of Israel and many Bible colleges and seminaries that once were clearly pro-Israel have made a paradigm shift and are no longer adhering to an honest exegesis of the Bible. Sadly, Bible scholar Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum pointed out that anti-Semitism was and is not limited to Roman Catholicism, but includes the Eastern Orthodox Church and leaders of the Protestant Reformation. For example, the influential church father Augustine even derived his theology from anti-Semitism. He just couldn't countenance a future kingdom with Israel's restoration, although the New Testament teaches it. Therefore, Fruchtenbaum labels replacement theology as 
theological anti-Semitism. Well, I believe the church is trapped like a bird and has gotten sidetracked into a famine of unbelief of God's word. This morning in my prayers, I interceded for Israel and the church with Psalm 124 and with special emphasis upon verse 7. I'm going to share that right now. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, now may Israel say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up quick when their wrath was kindled against us. Verse 6, blessed be the Lord who hath not given us as a prey to their teeth. And here's the verse that is so important. Verse 7, my all-time favorite when praying for a way of escape for myself, for family and friends. Our soul is escaped as a bird out of the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we are escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. I began the program by asking, when the Lord comes, will he find faith or famine in your life? The best way not to be starved spiritually, I believe, is a daily reading of this word of God. I suggest getting a Bible that divides the word into 365 daily readings, including chapters from the Hebrew scriptures, the Psalms, the New Testament, and a proverb for the day. This has helped me so much. It's vital to keep oneself nourished and to allow the word to do its supernatural washing of your mind as you read it. And because this is a supernatural book, it reads us and brings correction to our attitudes and thinking. Altogether, the story of the Bible is not man reaching up to God. It's God reaching down to man through the person of Jesus as Savior and offering the human race salvation as a free and unmerited gift. But we must receive God's gift with an open heart. I've tried to show that the prophetic stage has been set and that we're a day closer today than we were yesterday for the coming of the Lord. This is not a time to be playing games. Thankfully, Jesus promised in John 5, 24, truly, truly, I tell you, the one who hears my message and believes in the one who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned, but has passed over, literally has crossed over from death to life. Amen. So we ask you, O Lord, to create within us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us. Amen. Meanwhile, if you have any comments or questions, I'd love to share with you through social media or at our website, exploits.tv. And have you downloaded our free Jerusalem Channel app where you can watch all of our programs free of charge? Don't forget to do that. Our app also offers a free Bible teaching plan as well as access to our videos. Until next time, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you shalom. The great commentator Matthew Henry said, we may take this blessing to ourselves as if our names were inserted. Amen. I'm Christine Darg, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. Shalom.